welcome to the Mind Talks podcast. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. Our special guest is the first Olympic female rower from Puerto Rico. She raced in her first rowing championship at 19 years old. As well as being a talented rower, she excelled in her studies, obtaining a biological engineering degree at the world-renowned Massachusetts Institute of Technology. She's studying medicine at Stanford University currently. So it's our warm, warm pleasure and welcome to Miss Veronica Toro. How are you? Thank you. Thank you, Nathan. And thank you for the invitation to the program. Um, I'm doing great. How are you? Yes, not too bad. Um, thank you for accepting the invitation. Um, we're stoked for this interview purely because of your achievements, your mentality. So yeah, um, myself personally, I'm really, really excited for this. What about yourself, Ed? Yeah, definitely the same. It's it's, it's a it's a pleasure to have you on, and we can't get we can't wait to to get started really that's right that's it so um we're going to take all the way back veronica so can you think of your very first memory of a sport either live either playing or watching oh wow okay um that's a tough one i think um i mean in terms of like stories hearing stories of us of me and my brother doing sports is one thing actually remembering something is the other um, so i think probably of the first things i remember is um i i was 60 years old when i played in a in a boys little league team um, with my brother i have a brother that's uh 13 months younger than i am um and um I think our parents always tried to like engage us in sports together. Um, I I did ballet since I was three, but um, they were trying to get my brother to engage in sports. And I think we we played soccer at some time, um, and then we tried we did some swimming. Being from an island, that's kind of like traditional. Yeah. Um, but then he started playing baseball. Um, I think when he was four and I got tired of watching his games and like being bored. So when he turned five and I was six. We could be on the same team, so I asked my parents um, if I could be on the team so I didn't the games. Um, and so I guess I remember playing because I accidentally once, like while practicing at tea with my brother, like I hit him with the little like pull in the ball, like I hit his thumb and he lost his nail. So I remember that. Yeah. Uh, I also remember being like one of the tallest if not the tallest person on the team because I feel like girls have a uh, quicker growth spurt than guys. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's, the, that's the first memory I probably have in sport. And was there any sport that stood out to you when you were younger or did you just like sport in general? Um, I think, you know, like I was attached to dancing because that's kind of like what I started when I was younger. I think you know, when I used to watch the Olympics and things like that, um, I think probably because of the dancing aspect, I think when I used to see, like, ice skate figure skaters, I'd be like, you know, I feel like if I had been born somewhere that was cold, that's probably something that I would have liked to do. Um, I think I, like, watch sports more of a, you know, oh, it would be nice to, like, 
it would have been nice you know like i never thought of it as like something that i was gonna do yeah it's like a kind of like it would have been nice to like have done something like this since i was young and so um i never actually like when i was younger envisioned myself going to an olympic games or like getting anywhere near professional any sport i kind of just did it more like as a hobby and, and i kind of had this mentality that i was just a better student than i was other things and I guess mostly because of like upbringing I had, we were more like, you know, enforced in in the in the teaching that you know like academics is your job and like everything else is like for fun kind of. Um, so you know, I think that's that's kind of like what was my relationship with sports, um, at least until the age of about like thirteen or so, which is when I was still dancing ballet. Okay, I'm really interested about your early mindset because already this, this the fact that you joined um you know an all boys b- baseball team um at six years old tells me already that there wasn't any form of a barrier in terms of gender barrier. You just just decided you wanted to join. Can you remember? just what it was like um have you reflected you know later on in life um how it was for you that whole experience of you being the only girl in uh in that baseball team i feel like i probably didn't think of, didn't make much of it didn't think about it too much you know i think my brother and i shared like all of our friends when we were young yeah. and i was never a girl who liked to play with like dolls and stuff like that okay. i was never into the whole like role play like pretend this thing is a, this doll is a living thing <laughs> that was never my thing yeah. um i feel like i liked ba- like dolls that were like babies because at least i felt like i could like take care of the baby but like otherwise i was like not about the whole like role play scene, scene thing so you know i was always into like playing with blocks and legos and stuff with my brother and like you know, playing outside, outdoors. Um, I feel like I grew up in a household where, like, it wasn't really, like, like the difference in gender wasn't, like, enforced too much. Yeah. It kind of treated us like twins the whole time. Okay. Um, I think probably most of, like, what added to this, too, is, like, you know, um, uh, well, first, like, my mom is, like, also highly educated and, like, a smart person, but also my dad comes from, came from a household where, like, um, and I didn't know about much of this until after my grandmother passed away. Yeah. Unfortunately, I would have loved to meet her. But, um, you know, she was a trailblazer of her own. You know, she um, born and raised in Puerto Rico, but she went to college in the United States when a lot of, like, most people didn't do that from Puerto Rico. Yeah. And she was a professor in the School of Medicine. Um, like, and I've seen the pictures, and there was probably, like, three women in the whole, like, faculty of the whole university, yeah. you know? So I think my dad coming from that background, you know, is something that we never really talked about, like boys versus girls situation. Um, you know, I, I might have come up later yeah. on, you know, when like you start going out and things like that, you know, and like maybe like hour restrictions and whatnot, but never in like skills or like academics or like um, athletic skills um, that wasn't like really brought yeah. up. Um, I think one thing that added to this too is um, so I, I went to an all girls Catholic high school. Um, but before that, um, so the, the, the grade school of that high school, um, is co-ed, but okay. it's mostly girls yeah. anyway. Um, so it was like in a class of a hundred people, there was maybe, maybe like 25 boys at most. Okay. Um, um, so like it was mostly girl 
girls, and also they didn't hire any male teachers. They only hired female okay. teachers, even in the even in the grade school. Um, so I think you know the only really like male authoritative figure I had was my okay. dad, um, and then like in sports, well, I had like male coaches, um, and in ballet, I had male teachers as yeah. well. But um, you know, like at least in the academic portion, there was never this like you know like boys are supposed to be smarter or like do more yeah, technological yeah. stuff because it was mostly girls in the class anyway and like once you got to a certain age it was only girls so like the best student in the class has to be yeah. a girl there's no option for like it to be a boy because there's just no boy yeah. in the school um, you know so i think the whole male versus female thing is not is, is something that at least like growing up i didn't face too much i think you know the the moment what I've had to face it the most is probably like once probably once I started with my rowing career because I feel like MIT was also like pretty welcoming you know and I was also like in a female rowing team um I feel like MIT is a pretty unique place in terms of like inclusion of race gender and, and everything really it is like a special place and I think it was it wasn't until I started um representing quarters one rowing and like traveling um different parts of like Latin America, South America, and dealing with like, I guess like um, maybe like old, more traditional, uh, older, more traditional like men and their yeah. views, and and the fact that I was like by myself um, as a young female athlete um, trying to do something that wasn't yeah. established. You know, we didn't have an established like national team yeah. selection, and and you know there was a there's a lot of like uncomfortable things you have to do when you're like setting the path for other people um and you have to be strong you have to be strong about it you can't just like sit around and wait for things to happen because yeah. they're not going to happen that's why they haven't happened yet. you know if you're going to be the first you're going to have to do stuff that people yeah. haven't done before and take risks that people haven't taken before and that just makes other people uncomfortable um and so you know like you, you gain some friends you lose some friends in the way um but i think you know for the most part, people were like pretty, pretty helpful and receptive. I had um, before I before I had the budget or the time to do full time training. I I mainly depended on people who wanted to like coach me just out of the volunteer time. And there was a lot of those people. A lot of those people I didn't have any problems with, um, like okay. being female or anything. I think it was more when it when it came to like the more administrative and logistics, like the yeah. majority of things. When you get into the bureaucracy of things, that's when it became a problem it wasn't in the techni uh, technicalities of rowing it wasn't in the let me help you yeah. get here or not it was more in the like you're going to be in charge of things and like why are you as this young female athlete going to yeah. be in charge of anything um, if i haven't been able to do it in years like why mm. are you going to be doing it now and, and that kind of thing you know and i think um you know it's just something that comes with it I, you know like some people have been like oh i don't feel like you need to prove yourself like I feel like that's not true because like I feel like I constantly especially in the sport you know or like coming from a country where like other people haven't done it and like coming from a country where like they haven't supported those in the past because they haven't been anyone's training you constantly have to be proving yourself proving that like what you're doing is worth it for other mm -hmm. people to support um, and I think you can't just sit back and wait for things to happen you know I think if if you're in a place where there's an established group things and you just follow a path and you just follow the rules and you just do what you have to do because there's already like an established path to get there then 
you know, then you get to just sit back and draw the line, you know, and, and obviously that affects your, like, the extent to which you can perform as well, because when you have to be, like, dealing with all these extraneous things, you know, even during yeah. the competition or planning to go training, like, that takes away from your time, your energy. Um, but yeah, um, I think, you know, I think it's, it, it was a great, yeah. like, growth experience, like, um, doing this for these years and, and now I'm trying to do a lot of like setting the example and setting the path forward for other, especially female growers in Puerto Rico to continue. Yeah. I have no objection yeah. against men growing, you know, I just am more familiar with the with the world of female growing and, and I feel like I can contribute more just because I, I can continue to grow and like be supportive in that way. Um, I can't compete with men, so I can't sit in a boat and like, push a guy to grow with me because that's just not popular yet. It will be once once coastal rowing um, starts in the Olympics, which will happen for 2028, I believe. You'll have four and four categories, and that'll that's like a whole other mm. um, sport of its own. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's a long winded answer to whatever the question was. <laughs> no, that I was, can't even remember. Was, yeah, it was a good answer. It's yeah, agenda. It was, yeah, it's great it answer. It's a great answer. So, so let's let's go back to what made you start to row. What, what got you into rowing? Yeah. Um. So, I I went to MIT. I didn't row before that. Um. I did ballet until thirteen, and then I just started playing volleyball and softball. I had played volleyball once when I was like eight, and I was kind of good at the time. But you know, I like my parents made me choose like between like dancing and and volleyball, and I. I kept dancing and so at some point I was like you know I think I'm too tall for this my toes are hurting a lot I can't think I'm going to be like a professional dancer you know even though I really enjoy it and so it's like you know it'd be nice to like see if I can like play sports in college so like let me try and like play some sports at least in high school like I mentioned I went to an all-girls Catholic high school yeah. we weren't really like good in sports so I played multiple sports I did volleyball Sophomore, I played basketball one year, but I didn't really like it. We had the same coach for every sport, and he was like <laughs> in the seventies or eighties at the time. It was great, um, but like I also practiced volleyball outside of school, like in a club. So that one I took a little more seriously. I played like almost every day of the week. Um, but I was a middle blocker because I was really tall yeah. to play in Puerto Rico. So you know, they were like, "Oh, we need the tall person to play the tall person position." Um, and so then when I went to MIT, I wasn't called for that position. And so I was like, okay, you know, I never tried to actually get recruited. I didn't go through the process. I didn't think I was that good. Um, and I, I, I just wanted to get into school for academics. And I thought I had like the basis to do that. I did math Olympics when I was in high school. That's kind of what I did more. Um, and so I went to MIT, was kind of like, okay, I could try and like do club volleyball for years, see if I can walk on, but I would have to like transition to a different position and kind of like yeah. do my skills in a different position. Or I could try this out, this thing called rowing that like I had a teaching assistant of the summer program I did leading into MIT. Um, that was like, oh, maybe you should try rowing because you're like skinny and you're tall and like you should be a lightweight rower. Um, so like growing, there's like lightweight rowing and openweight rowing. Um, if you're a, a woman, yeah. you have to be under 130 pounds. And so I was 135 when I started college. And I was like, yeah, sure, I can lose five pounds. Um, I did it for a whole year. It was really tough to stay under 135 pounds. Um, especially like once I met the Puerto Rico rowing team. So I met the Puerto Rico rowing team. Um, during the winter vacation of my first year, I just like, 
my dad has seen a newspaper uh, ad that they were going to divorce in the Puerto Rico Rowing Federation. And so I just uh, contacted them, showed up, see what's up. And they had a national team coach at the time, and they were training twice a day. They had a group of boys training. There's one girl who wrote at the time, um, but she's kind of like on and off. So boys were the ones that were more constant. Um, and so again, I was like training with a team of boys. Um, I like did it for a week. I liked it. I went back to MIT, and then I was like, I planned to be back in Puerto Rico for the summer because I wanted to find where these people. So I came back. I did a medical internship that summer in Puerto Rico, but I also like practiced with the team. So I trained with them for a couple months, like twice a day, every day. Um, I did at some point, like, it was, this is funny. At some point I went to like the president of the Federation at the time and I was like, you know, I think this coach is not taking me seriously. I think he takes the boys a lot more serious than me, but I'm showing up to practice every day at six in the morning. So I want him to take me seriously. And so then he did. Um, and you know, like there's a lot of like comparing. You know, I had a lot of training, having trained outside, uh, like in, in the U.S., and I think maybe I had a little more discipline with the boys. Um, so, like, my numbers were really, like, showing that, and so they were, you know, they were encouraging. They were like, you know, maybe you should there, you know, there's these options to, like, represent Puerto Rico in more, like, regional competitions, and, like, they mentioned even the Olympics, and I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Um, but I don't know. I was like, well, if there's a possibility, so then year after like the 2014 they say you know there's this qualifier for the pan-american games we want to send you there um and so that was my comp- first competition ever in a single i was trying to qualify for pan-american games that was the first time i ever wrote a single because in college i wrote in the eight and the four um so that was a crazy adventure um i i like missed qualifying by like a spot um and um yeah, I looked back at the pictures and I'm like, oh my god, I had no idea. The boat was too big for me and everything was good and wrong. Like, obviously, the people I was with didn't know how to help me either. Um, they didn't have the background. And at the time, there was a national team coach, but he couldn't travel because he had some like, visa issues. Um, moving forward, we just didn't have a coach at all. So he, like, you know, his like actual job picked up and he just wasn't being paid to be a coach. He was like volunteering. So um, we, like, you know, the national team in Puerto Rico kind of you know, like me with the contacts I had met, made in international racing, being like, hey, can you like help me build a training plan outside of my college training plan? Because I did have, a, you know, a four year like college training plan in the UAE, but I kind of like tried to like self teach myself to row in the single um, and like train with whatever help I could get for people who volunteered and picked up a lot of bad habits in the process to then my coach. Um, had to, you know, <laughs> reverse. It was a, it was a hard process to do that. If you ask him, uh, Frankie Via Thomas, like, <laughs> you ask him, I'll tell you all the bad habits I had. <laughs> In terms, I'm really fascinated because for me, I think one of the areas that i'm really interested in is the shift in mindset so um when you joined the the team early on what were some of the the earliest lessons that you learned so i think if you're talking about joining the team at mit um we had we had a graduate student at the time who was doing her last year at the team um, on the lightweight team, and she she was really committed. I think at the time to try and make it to the U.S. national team. Um, she was the person who who first showed me, you know, 
like about like training twice a day okay, and like yeah. training outside of practice practice. But it's something I never engaged in before when I was with sports, but like recreation mostly. Um, so like practicing outside of practice yeah. and doing stuff in addition to practice, which is stuff that I had maybe practiced. Well, not maybe I had definitely practiced yeah. that in the academic aspect. You know, like doing math competitions and stuff like that. You do do some like additional studying and learning than you need to to like graduate high school you know um so you know i i kind of like had that mindset mentality and so then you know also being exposed to the national team and Puerto Rican team that they also did that it's kind of like a okay you know like you improve by putting in like extra yeah not just what we what you do in practice it's it's more about like also working on self-improvement and like your own discipline so i think you know like Discipline yeah. was something that I already had from dancing, but I never did like it was never the person who like had a bar at home and like did like extra ballet moves or anything like that. You know, I went to class and I did my class and I left and I didn't put my ballet shoes on until the next class, you know. Um, so definitely that was something yeah. that I picked up early on and I think that was really helpful. You know, I was working with other athletes where like, you know, you kinda reach that like elite training mentality like really early on career you know, because you you see other rowers that pick it up fast but it's just yeah. people who are like highly competitive with other people like swimming or running or other things and they already have this like instinctive like discipline in the sport itself you know for yeah. me the discipline was more like showing up you know but like showing up is already a big part of it you know? like when you just show up and like you know you even like do some like muscle yeah. fiber activation by just showing up you know so they see sometimes like if you you wait, go to weight left and you just go through the movements and you can like, it's better. Like, you know, I mean, it, it's like, it could be almost the same as if you're actually like lifting weight, you know? So I think that was a little bit of like translating my like academic discipline and just like being exposed yeah. to like, you know, Hey, this is something you can do. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of things and opportunities in life are about like watching what other people are doing and just like being aware of the opportunity. I think a lot of things that people don't get to do is because they're not yeah. even like aware that there is. What made you persevere when there was many obstacles in the early stages? Um, what made you keep on going? Um, you know, I think I wanted to represent Puerto Rico. Like that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I think once I found out that nobody had done it before, it was even like more motivating to try and do it. Um, it was just something about representing Puerto Rico, you know, like I had tried to do it in like mass competitions, but I didn't really like have, have it in me to like sit down and like do college classes or everything, you know, like I was really good when it was all about like your intuition and pattern recognition and whatever. So like I used to win like gold medals and stuff for my like grade up until like ninth grade and then people 10th grade up started taking college classes and like I didn't have that option in my school I wasn't familiar with it like my parents were not like math professors like the parents of the other kids that I'm talking about and so I just didn't have the like extra like here are bucks and learn formulas you know to me it was more like the intuition of it but I had the intent of like representing Puerto Rico in those competitions I just didn't have it in me to sit down and study for the hours that it required you know I, I was good in school just because like I don't know because like I had smart genes, maybe. Also, I like books, but like I didn't really like to sit down and study. I was always like doing a hundred other things than studying. I think 
I was lucky that school came a little easy to me, you know, especially like when high school was easy. <laughs> Not that high school is that easy now, <laughs> but you know, um, yeah, um, I think. I lost. I lost what I, I lost my train of thought. It was ba- basically about um, perseverance <laughs> when when there was obstacles. Yeah. So you know, I mean, to me, it was all about representing Puerto Rico and that and what that meant to me. You know, I think I carry with me all the time. I'm female and I'm Puerto Rican with everything that I do and everything I go and I don't do things despite being Puerto Rican or because I'm Puerto Rican. I do things being like while I am Puerto Rican. You know what? I don't want you to people to tell me that I accomplished things because I am Hispanic and so they gave me this like card or whatever. You know, it's more like a I did this and yeah. I am Puerto Rican and that means that other people can do it and other women can do it. And, and to me it was that and also, you know, like of course yeah. we're one of the few things that Puerto Rico has in its own. You know, like we are technically like a colony of the United States. You know, they don't name it like that because yeah. it's technically mm-hmm. not allowed for countries to have colonies. Days, but like technically that's what we are and so um you know it's like sports in this universe those are the things that we have and so um i think um there was something about the patriotism and, and representing the island you know there was this girl in my high school um who was a really good swimmer and she had been offered to represent puerto rico in like the central american caribbean games that were held in puerto rico in 2010 while we were in high school um, and she said no because she didn't want to take the time away from school that it required. And I was like, <laughs> like at the time, I was like, dude, you're in high school. Like, what are you going to learn in high school? It's so important. Um, and so, like, when I had, you know, when I was offered the opportunity, I was like, no, I got to take it. You know, like, I felt so like mad for this person who didn't do it. And so, you know, if I got a chance, I got to take it. And, and to me, it was more about like, the drive came from from the accomplishment and just doing it and being the first and then facing it happen to other people. And, you know, I never, I think I never really thought of the consequence it would have and, and me being able to, like, have these kinds of conversations and bring up important topics and, and talk to all the people that I've been able to talk to just through this journey. But, you yeah. know, I think maybe somewhere in my subconscious that was present because I, you know, like, mentoring people and talking about controversial topics or something that like I think is very important and and so I'm glad yeah. that what, what I like about your story is that there are many people um, who are in your position so um, academically very able but equally talented in sport so what would in terms of balancing your academics um, with rowing what were some of the early mistakes that you made that you corrected and what advice would you give to those who are in a similar position to yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest mistake, well, it wasn't really, like, it wasn't, like, a total mistake, right? Because you always, like, yeah. it was, it, you always learn <laughs> from your mistake. So it was a mistake, but it wasn't bad, is that I, I tried <laughs> yeah. to qualify for the 2016 Olympics uh, really while I was, like, yeah. Um, at MIT and like applying for med school and like training for the eight at MIT and a thousand other things and only yeah. growing for three years and obviously that didn't turn out well um but that gave me the fuel and like the knowledge to know what I had to do moving forward you know like know that I like needed some like the time to train um and like 
I guess, yeah. like, I needed a dedicated coach and all these other resources that I hadn't really had the time or bandwidth to organize for myself or like, for the previous run. Um, I think, um, I think one of the okay, things yeah. I learned early on is that I needed sleep, you know, and I somehow decided for myself an arbitrary number of hours that I was going to give myself to sleep every night. And because I had to wake up at a specific hour every day, that I would stop studying at a certain time. And that's something that I've, you know, I like some, um, like high achieving, like college athlete I was speaking to the other day, like, um, runs track, leave at Princeton and was asking me, you know, how'd you do it? And I was like, you know, I just decided that I wasn't going to yeah. study after 11 p.m. I was going to find another time to do it. I was going to have find another time to like finish the project. I was yeah. going to find another time to finish the homework. I was going to find another time to do it. But if I didn't sleep, I wasn't going to do well at practice. My, the next day was also going to be very unproductive. And I was going to get into this toxic cycle where everything was going to suck. And I didn't want to show up to practice and suck. And I didn't want to like not be able to do the work. So, you know, there was like this compromise of like, you know, if you want to sleep, you want to do all these things, then you want to show up to practice. You obviously have to compromise <laughs> you're not going to just party in the weekend you're also going to have to work in the weekend so you're doing all these non-work related things during the week so like you know that's how you have to like compensate for it but i i yeah you know i found identified early on the sleep was important for me that i was really like productive after, after some time and i had to be okay with being like you know i mean it bit me and it 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 it, it, it bit me back at least one time pretty hard that I was like, oh yeah, I'm done working on this project. You can finish it and turn it in and ended up getting, it was a group project with three people and me and these other girl had done most of the work and this other person hadn't done a lot. And so we were mm. just like, okay, we did all the yeah. experiment, gathered all the data, here's all the stuff, can you like write it up? And so like, <laughs> I like report to turn in and report was written as a yeah. disaster. And just because like, like I'm going to sleep and I didn't revise it, then we got like a level grade on this thing and the lady that I was just surprised you got this grade because you guys did such a great job. Yeah, stupid thing, and that's why we got a bad grade. Yeah. So you know, but you know, you win some, you lose some. Um, in general, you know, I think yeah, finding your like own productive way of like studying is definitely good. Um, I think a lot of people who struggle with like staying on the team for what I might see would because I guess like they try to rely a lot on like doing study groups with other people and like okay, a lot of study yeah. groups happened mm-hmm. at night time so they couldn't wake up on time for practice and things like that um, so I think you gotta like move move along kind of like attuned to the fact that your schedule might not align with what everyone else is doing I feel like you know once you get when you're getting out of high school like you're still kind of just like you don't want to be different still you just want to like be in the group like kind of like fit in status quo yeah. you want to do what everyone else is doing to adapt you're also like a lot of people are leaving their homes for the first time and and so like i guess you gotta maybe like ask people for like advice people who are doing the things that you want to be doing you know and, and get the forget all your resources um on board um i think that's one thing that i i don't know where or when in my life i picked it up but i i you know it's something that's helped me all the way along the way is like not be scared to ask questions and okay. like mm. when i see someone doing something that i want to do i just ask you know and i and i think people are people are always willing mm. to or almost always willing to like share their story or how they made it and, 
know, most most people are humble and mm-hmm. will remember that they came from a place that led you or through you didn't know what they wanted to do. And, you know, I, I I always encourage people to to look at people that are doing what they want and just ask them. You know, that's what I did when I before I decided to do this crazy thing of like taking time off in med school. You know, I met this like um. So the silver medalist from the Rio Olympics, before she was the silver medalist for the Rio Olympics, I, she was training in, she's always trained in boxing, yeah. and I, like, I'm talking about silver medalist in my sport, so like the women's singles call, representing the United States. Um, she was also a med student at Tufts, and so I reached out to her, she was in Boston when I was in Boston, and we just met for coffee once, I never met this girl, I like, text, like messaged her on LinkedIn, ended up meeting up with her and yeah. like you know i learned about her story i learned how she did it how it was possible to do both things at the same time and i kind of like opened my path for me you know it's like oh okay and then just developed like a generic like idea of like what was possible to do mm-hmm. and what wasn't you know because somebody had done something similar to what i wanted to do um you know i mean yeah our path ended up not being exactly the same you know like she went back to med school <laughs> after her medal and then decided to go back to rowing a year later, you know, when she wanted to be a surgeon, she said I'd not be a surgeon. I still want to be a surgeon. So, you know, we're different. You know, she comes from a background of her parents are both like Olympic athletes and her parents are both coaches and her dad is a coach. So it's just a completely different background, you know, but there was this one particular thing that we had in common that was that we did have to do rowing and, and that's what I took away from it. It's like, how, how can you do it? And, you know, even if we don't come from the same yeah. background, not from the same place our parents don't do the same stuff it doesn't matter like you know like it's like one this one thing we have in common and i can learn from whatever she did to do it so that i can do it too um and so i highly suggest like everyone to, to do that kind of stuff you know don't rely on just one mentor i have mentors for like different things in my life you know I, right now i came back to med school and trying to figure out what lab project I want yeah. to be working on. I've organized so many meetings just to like get to know what people are doing and like not just that, it's also like not what you're doing, but like who are you? You know, like oh you're a cardio- you're a surgeon, uh you're a resident in cardiographic surgery. That's what I want to do. Yeah. So yeah, I'm talking about your research project, but I'm also gonna ask you like how you got to where you were. You know? Like <laughs> you know, like what's the current program like? Am I gonna like it? And so I think it's a lot in life is about the people you talk to and the questions that you ask and the connections that you make. And I think that's important and and, and balancing everything, you know, like I think it's, it's harder when you want to figure out your own path to things. It's easier to, to do better time management and mm. do like better, like balancing things. And you have some model to follow. I think that's the thing about life. That, you're always learning. No, and no you. matter what level you're at, there's someone that knows more at something know more at something than you do so it is, you should never be afraid to ask never so so my next question is linked to your training so rowing training how how did when you first started rowing did you think what have i let myself in for or was that something that you were you you, you got used to straight, straight away You know, I can't remember like what I first was like feeling in rowing. I I remember that I think I had some advantage like being tall on the lightweight team. Um, but like I kind of felt like I was just like strong on the team. You know, I feel like maybe because I had done volleyball, I kind of had strong legs or whatever. Uh, but like you know, I felt like 
it didn't feel that hard at the beginning. Um, it's more when I got into like the <laughs> Olympic training of things that I was like, what am I doing? Like, what, like I'm, especially like with the whole like extending a whole year, like with COVID and all of the stuff. It was more of like the when I was only rowing that I was like, what am I doing? You know, because my brain is wired to like always be trying to get, gain like academic knowledge, academic pursuit, all of this. Like that's what I've done all my life. And then suddenly I'm only rowing and I'm just fine. Like this pursuit. And it's like, you know, I'm used to like exerting my brain or whatever you want to call it to like the max, you know, like study as much as I have to for this yeah. one particular thing. But like exerting your body is a completely different ballgame that I wasn't used to. I didn't do an endurance sport beforehand. And it's really hard. It's really hard. I think it's a, it's, I picked a hard sport to do what I wanted to do it. You know, I think, um, it's interesting. I, I originally thought I would try sailing at MIT and I didn't do it because of the summer program I did at MIT. They made you take a PE, uh, they made you take oh, a oh, wow. PE class and I tried to get into sailing <laughs> and it was a lottery and I didn't get in. That's how I ended up thinking. I feel like if I had done sailing that summer, you know, there was mm. just something about the water and like the river being right there next to the University of Yale City and like me like having love with the beach growing up and having like swimming and all of that. <laughs> I could have been a sailor and that was going to be a lot less physical exertion <laughs> in terms of like endurance. You know, there's a lot more technicality to it. But um, it's, it's the kind of thing where I'm like, I think growing picked me. I didn't necessarily pick growing. I was like, oh my God, this is the sport I totally want to do. Like, I walked to the Olympics and I'm like, I'm going to do this when I grow up. You know, it was more of like a it happened and that's where I had the opportunity to do what I wanted to do. Um, that's where the, yeah, that's, that's kind of like how I ended up doing it. And then I did catch myself a bunch of things, you know, when I was doing like the just training that I was like, oh my God, I just want to go back to high school and just like study and, or like work with patients and like stop being tired all the time and stop pushing my body to the extreme all the time. Like, I'm so tired of this. So yeah, I did get to that point a lot of the times, you know, but. So that's why it's good to have like clear goals yeah. and like beliefs and, and the people to support you too and be like, you know, yeah. you've made it so far, like you're not gonna like quit now. Like I'm not gonna like So one part of you know? the sto so, your like, story that I found interesting. So I was I read that you went to Miami. So you moved to Miami and then within a few months you had to change trainers or you split for your trainer for for whatever reason. I guess my question is, how did you cope mentally having gone to Miami, having to get um, used to the new surroundings, but then on top of that, you've split from your coach? How, how did you deal with that? Yeah, it was really tough. It was really tough okay. mentally at the time. Um, but I think it was a necessary change, you know. Um, I think... I came out of college and I had this plan, you know, I'm going to do two years of med school, then take two years to train and, yeah. and uh, like go to the Olympics. That was like the base of my planning, you know, and then I was just open to exploring how to make this happen. You know, I started training by myself out of the Stanford Boat House. I asked one of the coaches at Stanford mm. to write me a training plan. I did it for a quarter and then she suggested that I tried rowing out of the yeah. performance training center in Oakland where she had trained for the Olympics of Rio 2016. Um, so I started driving up to Oakland, um, and I would drive there super early before when I met school every day. Eventually, yeah. I, like, you know, I thought it wasn't very productive to 
to do mm. that. So I still went to Switzerland every day, but then I watched the lectures that they were recorded. And so I would go to med school in the afternoon for the required in-person stuff, but then I would have to watch all these lectures like, over the weekend um, and when I had um, time to watch them. But that's what I opted to do. And we had like a pretty solid team the oh, okay. woman who would eventually go and represent the United States in the Tokyo Olympics was training with me over there. Got a pretty solid training group of people. Uh, and, okay. you know, this was all fully funded by a very generous um, donor who had founded, oh. founded and funded the program and he paid for two of these grass, like mm. full time. You know, we only oh, paid wow. like 120 bucks for like a year for like photo insurance. Mm. That was it. And we have two full-time coaches with like dedicated to us um so it's a phenomenal program but unfortunately the, wow. the man who funded the program passed away suddenly in 2017 and, and uh, his family took away um the funding and they kind of like decided to pursue like the funding of the men's aid treatment instead and so they transitioned something from like smaller about training co-ed training but just like the men's eight and the smaller program. And so um, we all had to like climb our yeah. way, part ways. And so the coach I had at the time connected me with this other coach in Miami because he didn't know where he was going to end up. Um, so he was <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it might end up in China. So he did go to China for some time. And so he connected me with someone else um, in Miami. Um, he, you know, like was a retired coach. Um, and um, he, you know, like he was willing to help me. And, uh, um, I didn't have any funds at the time. He was willing to practically like help me for free um, because he was retired and needed the money. And so, you know, we started this like uh, he he came to this California to watch me go and we started this like um, remote training thing where he would send me the training plan and we did this for a few months. And then eventually, I I moved to Miami solely to. Yeah. The purpose of training with this person. I don't have like, I mean, I have like extended family in Miami, but like, you know, I have someone else in Miami other than going there for, for training. And why Miami? Well, you know, like I was like not really excited to like go to the East Coast necessarily and like be on the rowing machine when it's cold like half the year. I don't know. That was part of the reason I had ended up at Stanford. Um, so I go to Miami and we go, uh, we had a few competitions that summer. Um, and we spend a lot of the summer traveling. Um, yeah. So I feel like we, we had some issues since the beginning of training in person. Um, it was most of like the flashing I was talking about and like being like, you know, like a more conservative, older Hispanic male and like me being just, you know, it was just me and a young female um, athlete with a lot of questions, you know, about yeah. my training and all of this. I feel like there was a there was a clash of, of personality and expectations, and um, I was basically at the mercy of the person because I didn't have any other plan. I didn't have a backup plan, you know, and I I stuck with it, um, and I kept sticking with it, and I even started talking to a sports psychologist about it. Yeah. He was like, "Hey, I know this other coach. Why don't you come to this coach?" And I was like, "Oh no, it's fine. I'm good with this coach." And you know, eventually the the ball kept rolling. We competed. We did not so good in, in one competition. We did better in a different competition because I felt like I, I went to like a training camp with him. And so I got training from other coaches there as well. 
so that helped me out a lot and so like yeah. then they started to take, like he felt like they were taking credit for my success and it was all like an ego situation and it's just like a messy situation and you know we we ended up parting ways just mm. because he decided he didn't want to coach me anymore one day in practice he just like blew up and told me he wasn't going to coach me anymore this was two months before the the pan-american the qualifier for the pan-american games um, and so I was left without a coach in Miami, without anything else to do. I didn't have a boat at the time because wow. um, I fully depended on on this coach. You know, like I didn't, I wasn't even a member of the club. I was yeah. only a member of the club too. So like I'm here, I have a place in Miami that I just finally leave for a few months ago, and I was like, well, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. And so luckily, I went back to the sports psychologist that I had met. He's like, okay, I think it's time for you to meet this other guy now. Uh, you know, like the world is so small that it ends up being that my my. Mm. Frankie Villacalvo was oh, being like, wow. coach had been this other person's mm. athlete in the past, and he had had issues with him in the past, where like yeah. <laughs> him as well, back when he was the national team of So, you know, the world is small. Wow. I got rescued by the person who had suffered from the same uh, malaise as me. Um, so, you know, that was a it was just like, I feel like it was meant to be, you know, but it was, it was really, really tough at the time, and I didn't really have a plan, and you know, the coach that I ended up with, you know, he was a full-time coach. That's his job. I needed to find some sources of funding. He coached me, like, at will, like, for free until I could figure out a plan. Just mostly because he did, he wanted me to go to these comp- this competition that I had been training for. So he qualified for Canada American and I started trying to figure out, like, fundraising and things like that. And that gave me a lot more independence, not having to depend on, like, whoever wants to coach you whenever they want to coach you, but, like, actually, like, being able to, like, organize, you know, like, a you know, I'm paying me to do this, like, you're my third for team, like, we're, you know, like, we're on this together, and, like, I'm not just, like, cleansing from what you can do. Um, but that, that was probably the toughest obstacle of this all. You know, I, I took this adventure, I, I'm kind of, like, an adventure kid in that sense, I didn't really think <laughs> twice before going to Miami, and looking back, it's like, what the heck, you, like, moved across the country for this person that you, you like, barely knew, um, you didn't do a lot of research before doing mm-hmm. this. I mean, you were recommended by someone you trusted, so you just thought it would be a good opportunity, and it sounded right, and not being great at all, you know? But, you know, I think, you know, things happen for a reason. I ended up with a it's, good It's, it's true, end, because the thing is, if this um, never happened, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you You probably stronger. never would have ended up with your coach. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I definitely would have not. Yeah. So things happen for a reason, you know, and I, mm. you know, so at, to a certain extent, I like thank him for like giving me the opportunity to come to Miami and meet the other coach, you know, I, and I, I don't, I don't hold like grudges against people or anything, you know, I, I don't think he's a bad person either. I just think we just didn't align, you know, and, um, what's it called? It, it didn't work out for me, and it didn't work out for him. And, you know, I moved forward, and it, he's doing other stuff. Oh, bro. That's just you know we've seen each other in other competitions. Um, so my next question is is kind of linked to to what you mentioned um, about yeah. speaking to a sport psychologist. So how, how useful did you find speaking to a, to one? Yeah, um, so, um, I think 
speaking to anyone. It doesn't have to be like a sports psychologist about like mental health issues is the point. Um, I think I should probably like reached out to like I should have probably had some sort of like person to talk to even before sports, but I felt I feel like a lot of people like, you know, there's a separate category of sports psychologists. Which I think, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be separate. I think they separated it because of, like, probably the stigma of, like, oh, I don't see a regular psychologist. I only see it because of my sport. Yeah. And it's because, you like, you know, like, whatever, like, anxiety or things that you might have, like, underlying are going to show up a lot more when you're under the stress of performance, right? So, like, it might be only limited to your sports in my case it wasn't you know like I got the same like stress and anxiety with like academic performance as well and so you know I tried the like limited spectrum of like like tips for like specific to like sports performance and it like wasn't what I needed necessarily like I needed more like holistic like you know like I get anxious with everything you know so to me the whole like talk about just like being a better athlete yeah wasn't doing it just because I was naturally not like athlete. I was naturally academic person. Um, but you know, I think any entrance entrance into the field of like getting help and mental health is, is good. Whatever it is that you use to to start with it. You know, like some people start with like social workers in the emergency department, which I've mentioned this because that's what I'm like doing right now, right? But you know, I think it's always good to have some, like someone give you a check of like what you're going through, like mentally, and you know, your brain is like it's part of your physical body too. You know, I think at some point we should just stop trying to separate it so much. You know, and and decrease the stigma. And I'm glad that that you know, like athletes are talking more about these issues. And I think mostly because hmm. we have a lot of people that look up to us. Um, but like honestly, we face the same problems that like normal people do. I think put in like maybe like a different amount of like stressful situation that, that makes us really take care of that after because otherwise we can't perform you know like yeah. about Simone Biles she was actually scared of her own life of like you know like falling on her head and mm-hmm. like injuring herself or like to like an extent where she couldn't even do things anymore you know uh, so like I feel like we're forced to take care of the mental health aspect and, and but I think people should use that to like learn about your you know, your holistic mental health and like how it's gonna impact you after sport as well. And also like to, to talk about it outside of the sports well, you know, because like people fight face similar like situations that put them in similar stresses, just mm. not maybe like stress like in front of the camera or stress in front of a crowd, but like other types of stresses. Know? and I, I think it's a conversation that when it wherever it starts if it's like in sports or if it's like in anything else like it's mm. something that would you that, say you know, like chasing history was the reason why you prevailed f- for Tokyo rather than give up like so many other athletes You think, yeah. uh, sorry, you're asking, yeah. like, if the if the fact that I was going to make history influenced my decision to, like, or, like, maybe persevere? Um, I mean, I think it definitely did, yes. I think it was a, you know, the, a, a thing that I had set myself out to do, and I'm a big, like, goal-getter kind of person, and 
you know, I was like, this is your chance to do it, you know, like, if you just, like, qualify, and I think that's what made it hard, like, after I qualified to, like, drive for, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do now that I qualified? Because the goal was just to make it there for so long. And that was like the special thing to me. Yeah. And then it felt like it kind of like a post goal, post word. And I never actually thought of what it would look like to actually be qualified. But definitely, definitely like, you know, I, I wanted to, to be the first. And so, I, talk to I us a little bit about your support network. That definitely kept me pushing forward. Yes. Mm-hmm. About my support network. Okay. Um, I have a pretty big support network. Um, you know, I think as evidenced by all the people that, that like watched me compete, and you know, I, it starts with my family. You know, my parents supported me even when I decided to do something that was like totally out of order. Like, oh my god, you're not working because you're studying better. You know, you're also in technical studies and going to this crazy thing of Olympics. Um, yeah. Obviously, that was a, that was a, some crazy stuff for my family, you know, but eventually they got on board. They never, like, not supported me. They always had these comments about it, but eventually the comments, the, the, the more, like, negative or questionable comments dissipated, and it was just, like, about support, you know. I also have a brother that I mentioned who's 13 months younger. Um, he's now also at Stanford doing his PhD, and you know he's a strong supporter. Um, I have a, a my partner who mm-hmm. I've been dating for like more than four years now. We had a long distance relationship through this all, so he was a strong supporter too. You know, he's also Puerto Rican, also like was an athlete, team athlete at some point, and so he has some understanding. But like outside of my core. Um, group of family and like my friends you know there's yeah. there's so many people you know like I feel like there's still like teachers from like grade school that like follow me you know but there's um what's that called there's definitely my coaches from like my undergrad team the coaches that I've had you know from like the International Growing Federation um my coach Frankie Viacava, obviously. Um, and then, you know, I think a lot of the like supporters that I gained through like fundraising too, I feel like I gained a lot of like book contacts and people who like are doing good things for Puerto Rico and they care about things that happen in Puerto Rico. Um, there's also, you know, like the advising uh, people in the school, all the people that I've contacted, uh, you know, like my assigned academic advisors, but also like the research mentors that I've, that I've sought out, you know, and the people who are in the cardiothoracic surgery department, who are the, which is the department that I eventually want to do my residency in. And um, they've all like shown support and also like they've been people who've been there to like answer yeah. my questions of how to, how to get to places. Uh, um, I've worked with several different people in like mental health. Um, who've all been good, you know, like I worked with people before I left Stanford. I, um, you know, I worked with a sports psychologist that kind of handled my coach. I, you know, I worked with someone out in med school. Um, those people are also And I think just like from the, from the network of like growing friends, you know, like growers are very tight to each other. Um, and 
the training partner I had, we had our first class in two weeks as well. It's just like a very long list, you know. And I, when I qualified, mm-hmm. I remember I made this collage of all the coaches that had helped me along the way because I had so many coaches along the way because I didn't have one like national team coach. But it was all these people, and and I could do the same for like my academics and all the people who helped me like get into MIT, get into med school, will help me get into the residency program. There, there's just like endless yeah. number of people, you know, and also like. I feel like now yeah. the people that I so met I watched an interview of, supporters, of you, know? you and so you spoke about roommates. So you specifically spoke about the Algerian who was Muslim and you spoke about an Indonesian who um, you couldn't communicate because of the, the language barrier. So I guess my, my question would be from all of your roommates, what is the biggest lessons that you've learned from them? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Well, I mean, from I've had like a lot of different roommates, right? These are just like the international ones are specifically from rowing. I guess from those yeah. specifically, you know, I think just like being open minded about how like the cultures are in different countries, yeah. you know, but also like identifying like people who like <laughs> have the same struggles in different countries, you know, I think. It's funny, but like we took a picture as like the Powerpuff Girls once, but it was me yeah. and the girl who represented Singapore and the girl who represented Namibia, and we were all kind of like on similar paths from three different continents, you know. And um, we like we encountered, we like were roommates for the World Marine Championships in 2019, and we encountered in, in Tokyo, and you know, just like learning how how the same struggles look different in like different continents um but like we're still united by the same concept you know that she was a girl from Namibia was the first movie in the world to get the Olympics yeah. and the girl from Singapore I'm not sure like what is her historical aspect but she you know there was currently no federation when she started doing it as well so um yeah you know I think to be humble you know to always think that there's other people battling the same battles that you are um and to you know, be be humble enough to understand that some people are better at fighting those battles than you are. You know, the girl from Namibia did significantly better than I did in her actual like rowing performance. You know, um, and okay. so yeah, I just to be open minded, be humble, and and try to understand other people where they're coming from. You know, like you mentioned, the, 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 a woman from Algeria, she's my roommate. It's been probably like a couple of times. You know, like the understanding of people's cultures and the way where they come from. Um, you yeah. know, like be comfortable around people who you can't. There's like more to language, more to communication than just verbal language. You know? <laughs> so, like, not communicate verbally with someone is still something that frustrates me because I wish I could speak like every language in the world because I'd love to speak to people in their native tongue. Um, but you know, like, you, you learn to communicate in other ways, um, and you learn how important you know, like body language. Just okay, like so this is my last nice question to you. To what would you say are the biggest, or the three yeah, biggest things yeah, you've learned from rowing that you can implement in other areas of your life? Wow. Okay. What are the three biggest things that I learned from rowing? I think. 
I've definitely learned to push myself to the limit. That's definitely something that I learned very well. Um, you know, I've learned that your mind is very powerful. And if you envision yourself doing something enough, it will, you will make it happen. But also in the negative aspect, if you can't see yourself doing something or you, you see yourself not being able to do something, that's probably also what's going to happen. You know, like your, your mind is very powerful that way. And, and I think you've got to be careful with the expectations that you set or like goals that you set for yourself, especially when you're like at your lip pushing yourself to the limit. Because if you're not clear with what you want to accomplish when that moment comes, and you're hesitating, you're you're not gonna do it. You're not gonna do it if you're not convinced that you can do it, you know? So that that's uh that's that's definitely something. And then you know, I've learned a lot about people coming from from different sides of life, you know, from this is different aspects of life, different backgrounds, people who who do things for different purposes, you know, like even something as basic as sports, some people do it as like for necessity, you know, for like they're like income some people do it because they like it some people do it because you know their family does it i don't know people have different reasons for 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 doing things and also people prioritize different things in life you know i think it was very eye-opening to me to take a step back from this like very high achieving academic pathway and and just take a step back and take time to get to know other people understand things outside of this bubble that I had been living in, especially going to MIT and then Stanford, you know, see how people outside of that uh, high achieving elite academic world think, you know, and those are the majority of the people out there. And they're the people who are build, like defying the problems of society and, under, and, you know, like the solutions in society have to be based on addressing the needs of the bigger cohort of people. You know, um, but also I, I did learn, you know, to like practice self-care and take time to, to understand myself, um, especially like mentally health wise, like explore, you know, my mind and where it can go. And, and that's stuff that I like definitely to take the time to do before, before taking the time away um, from medicine. And, you know, it's, it's more about like taking rests and like, enjoying life like at the moment not thinking like you know like i think when you get entangled in this like high achieving world you're always thinking like oh yeah when i'm done i'll do this when i'm done i'll do that and it's like you know like you might never be done there's people who you know like there was a girl who went to my high school and she worked so hard and all of these things she got into med school and the day before she started med school she fell asleep driving died in a car crash burned down you never know you know like i feel like you you gotta make the best of what you can like every moment every day and if you really want to do something go for it there's no like defined path to everyone everyone has a different path to get to things and it's not written in the stars like how you're supposed to get to where it is that you want to go you know it can change at a moment so okay my last question is so when you returned from the olympics how were you feeling emotionally? Because this is something that I've mentioned on a previous podcast, but it's, this is still relatively new to me. Is this 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 I guess post Olympic um, blues? So I guess it's really important for me to really just understand what what that is. So how did you feel um, when you came back? 
Yeah, I mean, I think my experience, you know, everyone's experience is a little different, but I think my experience might be a little different than most of the athletes coming back from the Olympics, um, just because I already had a trace plan um, for okay. what I definitely had to do getting back. Um, you know, I did decide to take, yeah. you know, a few weeks, a couple of weeks at home with my family. Um, before I like started like moving back across the country and doing all these things, but I didn't have much time to just sit back and like process things. Um, you know, I think the most that hit me was that I wasn't exercising as much, and so my body definitely felt it. And so you, you know, you have to be careful with that because you you can get depressed and and sad just from like and emotional just from like the lack of the hormones that you get from like exercising constantly, and so. That's definitely something that I felt. Um, I think, you know, there's something also about, you know, as an athlete, unless you win a gold medal, and even if you do, like, I feel like athletes always want to do better, you know? So there is certainly the whole, like, what if, or like, yeah, just what if, what if I had done this differently? Like, could have I, could, could have I done better? Um, so like, there was definitely like encountering that, like a lot of the time, you know? And I think, um, just like being a family and like being like receptive and actually believing when people tell you that you did a good job and like feel proud of you like helped but I needed that like constant reminder you know because like I said my whole goal was to like make it there but then you like kind of build this concert of things that people are expecting you to do and then when you don't accomplish yeah. them because maybe you didn't believe that you could or whatever reason you know then you have to deal with the consequences of not achieving that goal that maybe you didn't even think you could do um but other people did or whatever. Um, so I dealt with that. But, you know, I didn't have much time um, otherwise to, to think about things. You know, I think in terms of, you know, I am a planner. I'm a person who always has to be planning for, for future things. And, and I think um, I even started thinking of, like, if I was going to continue to do this or not, like, after, you know, and I, and I think what I told myself is, you know, you told yourself that you would come back to next year and really focus on getting back uh, into the hang of things. Like, I put off being, like, a stellar student during my mm. first years in medical school because I was under the compromise that I would come back and be really good when it wasn't pass-fail because the first years of med school are pass-fail. And so I was like, I need to keep that promise to myself. But I also wouldn't want to be the last person who goes for Puerto Rico to the Olympics and rowing. So, you know, like my commitment right now is to try and, and see, um, you know, who can row after me, but also I've seen the potential of like being able to compete with someone else and like potentially get a medal for Puerto Rico mm -hmm. in more regional games. I've always wanted to compete in a, in a team boat for Puerto Rico. I've just never had the opportunity with anyone who's been training consistently um for that purpose so i found yeah. someone and and you know i i think i'm just in the phase of like let's see how fit i can stay and let's see how strong this person can get and how far we can go but it's more like you know it's it, it priorities have shifted and, and it's no longer the priority to like be really fit and like be really strong and growing it's more of like oh i'm gonna do it because i like it i enjoy it and i also need the exercise because my body needs it um from all these years and and we'll see how far it gets and, and i think definitely a motivator has been the fact that i'm trying to motivate this other person and serve as an example so i you know i think each person finds their own way of like picking themselves back up or whatever and i and i 
for me it was more a transition than like a you know mm. it's transitioning and it's it is a hard transition i'm like struggling every day to sit down and study and i'm struggling to remember all the stuff that i had learned in the past you know but i think those things get me busy from what you talked about like a post-olympic yeah lose. i mean i it's it's hard because I don't have my boat here with me. It's still on the East Coast because I was <laughs> I have sent it for repair for some things, um. So I haven't been able to bring it, but I live right next to the water and I see the water and I'm like I want to go row. You know I really want to go row and you know and days that are like I have hardship and whatever I'm like I just want to like go and exercise. You know like I totally want to do that. And then I see pictures of people you know on social media like about rowing and this and that. And I'm like oh my god I can't do that. Anymore. But, you know, it's it's more of like a, I have chosen to do this, you know, and it, it was more like a transition than like, a, oh, it's over and what do I do now with my life? It's just, you know, something that a lot of people like strongly dislike, you know, and I think, I remember when I went to the qualifier for, for the 2016 Olympics, they had this talk about like, you know, like what happens after like Olympic rowing. You know, just because, like, a lot of athletes, at least in South America, like, they don't necessarily, like, are doing academics or something on, on like, on top of it. They're just doing their sport. And, and like, I remember sitting in this conference and this person being like, oh, like, does anyone know what to do? And, like, they pointed at me and I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be a doctor. Or, like, I want to be a surgeon. I can't remember. And the person looked at me like, are you, like, crazy? Like, do you know anyone who's, like, an Olympic rower? And like a doctor, and I was like, actually, yes, I do. Debbie Stone, <laughs> like, she wrote for the United States. She is a medical doctor. And like, the person was like, well, they didn't know what to say because I was obviously more prepared than they were suspecting. But you know, I, it is a it is a topic of conversation, and, and especially like in situations where this is like yeah, people's like absolutely. income for a lot. Veronica, how can people you know, get into contact with you? Their body can't do it anymore after they're just not good anymore. Yeah, um, so people can look me up on Instagram. It's uh, Vero Toro16. Um, or you can also just shoot me an email. Um, my email is Toro, like my last name, T O R O, Arana, A R A N A, dot Vero, V R O, uh, like Veronica, at gmail.com. Um, just feel free. Um, <laughs> Thank you. To I mean, me I, I can definitely say mission accomplished. We covered a we lot of topics, a lot, a lot of topics, and um, <laughs> we're really thankful because your answers were so full of detail. And um, we definitely know that the listeners are going to get something from it. So, um, yeah, from the bottom of my heart and on behalf of Edwin, and all our listeners here, we just want to say thank you and we appreciate you and congratulations on, you know, creating history, really. And long may it continue. Hopefully you are the start of something new for um, Puerto Rican rowing. So, yeah, let's just hope you started something. Yeah. <laughs> okay guys if you are a new listener i haven't done this in a while if you are a new listener welcome aboard if you yeah. are a uh, an existing listener or the one of the originals um thank you and continue to support until next time guys stay safe and stay healthy